What's up, Nostalgiacs? This is Andrew. A couple things before we get started. Because Dan and I are very passionate of Back to the Future, we kind of went a little overboard on this discussion. So we've broken it up into two parts. So this will be part A of our discussion, and part B will be released next week. So enjoy episode three, Do Not Open Till 1985, where we discuss... Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a baby. Tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Ah. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Ah! Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. Just right now, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown... <laughs> can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. Hey gang, we've got a heavy one for you today. It's a tale as old as time. Boy meets scientist. Scientist is murdered by terrorists. He travels back in time, gets a handy from his mom, and makes his dad less of a pussy. That's right. We're talking about Back to the Future. I'm Dan Sullivan. Here's my co-host. Andrew Gonzalez. And this is Let's See That Again, the podcast where we watch nostalgic movies and see if they still hold up today. All right, Andrew. So this this is a big one here. Oh, yeah. One of my all-time favorite movies. One of the best movies of all time. And I say time multiple times as I see this because this movie has to do a lot with time and the 50s and... It does, uh, and and if if, if the uh, if the title didn't give it away enough, the opening scene will definitely let you know that there's going to be some uh, some elements of time involved in this movie because it opens up with you know ticking clocks and the room full of dozens of clocks all synced up to the same time. Which is uh, we open up in Doc Brown's house, I guess. And uh, he, if this took place today, Doc Brown would definitely be on hoarders. Yeah, he, he. We also get a little bit more insight into Doc Brown right away because they show like some newspaper clippings. So we find out that he was like a a wealthy member of the town, and apparently there was like a fire or something like that, right? That he lost his mansion, or did he sell it? What ended up happening was, um, I don't know if it happened before the fire or not. That he became bankrupt, and there was, um, you know. A fire, and he ended up selling all the acres of his land that he owned. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the it said uh, bankrupt inventor sells four hundred and thirty-five prime acres. So yeah, he. Which honestly, now that you think about it, and we're talking about it, it seems like these things might match up, and they never talk about it in the movie. But do you think Doc Brown set his? house on fire because he was bankrupt to sell the land and probably had insurance fraud it's possible um he doesn't seem that wealthy when we meet up with him though if he did like an insurance scam you would think that he'd have some money 
kicking around after it unless he threw it all into his inventions, maybe? I mean, we do later in the movie see him set a, 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 like a barrel of oily rags on fire. Maybe it was a similar situation to that, but without Marty there to help him, it burned down. I don't know. Well, well, it is true that they say that every old scientist needs a young boy to hang around with to prevent laboratory fires. Yeah, but only pervy old scientists say that. <laughs> which is honestly Marty and his relationship, which they never explain. And it has always been a question of mine, even though this is one of my favorite movies. It's how does a was Marty 17? How does yeah, it, I think he's uh, supposed 17? to be 17. Yeah, how does a 17-year-old kid hang out with, like, a 50-something-year-old scientist? One, without his parents questioning anything, which is very, very, very strange. And it seems to be a pretty well-established relationship, too. Like, even even his principal knows about it. So it's like everyone in the town knows that this crazy old scientist that lost all of his money and burned his mansion down for whatever reason is only hanging out with a young boy. And they're, they're just like not okay with it, but no one's really stepping in. They're just like, Oh, he's, he's kind of a loser. They're not like, is he molesting you Marty? Or like, no one really cares about that. They just don't want him to be disrespectful. Maybe it's cause the eighties, like not to get like, all uh serious but i guess like the thing about it you know like all those people coming out about boy scouts and stuff uh you know being molested over the years maybe just back then people were like nah that's not a thing that can't be happening he's a well respected crazy scientist man he wouldn't be doing that to a 17 year old he's just mentoring our boy that's why he filled his laboratory <laughs> with all of those guitar amplifiers to entice him and give him something to do other than yeah. be molested. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Like, why, why is there a gigantic amp in, the, in Doc Brown's place? Like, what scientific experiment was he doing? And also, Marty should be deaf for the rest of the movie. He would definitely, like, if it were so loud that it could physically throw him across a room, his eardrums would rupture. There's no way, he, he's not even, like, he picks up the phone right after and he can hear him fine. Yeah. And also, when when you first see Michael J. Fox's, like, full face without the sunglasses and everything, and he pulls, like, the garbage or whatever is on top of him, you and he pull, you should immediately see blood raining from his ears yes um i don't know if you caught it but there's also like a little easter egg in that scene on the on the amplifier there's like a, a nod to stanley kubrick oh really yeah so oh, is it um what were you gonna say go ahead oh so if you I when you said did it have anything Sorry, God. you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, so when you're looking on the amp, there's a little label on it for I don't know if it's supposed to be the model or whatever. There's like a little from like a label maker, like a red label that says CRM 114, and that's um, Stanley Kubrick had used that in a few other of his movies as like a random number. Like it's it's mentioned in uh, 2000, the Space Odyssey movie, 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, it's just like a number that Stanley Kubrick thought sounded good and used in a couple of his films. And they decided to throw a little homage to him in this and slap, slap it on the uh, amplifier. I did not know that. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of in the scene, little things. I don't know if you noticed that one minute and two seconds um, when they're doing the screw, the, the shot over the clocks. Oh, the guy hanging from the clock. Yep, and yep. that's dressed exactly like Doc Brown from the future. I mean, not the future, the past. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that's a, a famous picture that anybody did or if that's Yeah, I forget just... the guy's name. It's a famous actor from uh, the silent film era. It, I can't remember his name, though. Oh, uh, so it is based off something. They didn't yeah, just yeah, like, it, oh, it is. Uh, it's a scene from a film. That they're like kind of uh, recreating as like foreshadowing for, um, you know, the some of the final scenes of the movie. When you start rewatching all these old movies and these nostalgic movies, and you you start to take notes, 
you really start to pick up on a lot of things uh, that you didn't notice before on how, especially like things like Burger King apparently had a lot of pull in this movie. Oddly enough, that that Burger King shot that uh, that was just um, coincidental of how they wanted to set the cameras up. Burger King did not um, pay any sponsorship money for this movie. Really? Yeah. But uh, an- another funny tidbit about corporate sponsorship. One of the sponsors for this film was the California Raisins, and they actually got a partial refund on the money because um, their logo is is painted on a bench at the very end of the movie, and it's it's obscured, so you can't really see all of it. So when the film came out, they complained. They were like, you can't even fucking see our logo because, you know, California Raisins swear a lot, and um, they, they ended up getting a refund. But Burger King basically got free publicity just because, you know, right place at the right time. I wonder if they tried to use California raisins casually like they did Burger King, but they were probably like, who the fuck in the 1980s is just eating raisins? Or (laughs) what are we going to say? Marty's brother works at the raisin factory or, you know, (laughs) got to go, ma. It's late. I got to go to the night shift at the ye old raisin factory. Those dried up grapes aren't going to scoop themselves, ma. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to to touch on the inappropriateness of Marty and Doc's relationship too, while he's in the workshop still, Doc calls him and is like, hey, I need you to meet me at 1.15 in the morning in the mall parking lot. And he doesn't really bat an eye to it. He's just like, oh, okay. Yo. Marty, is that you? Hey, hey, Doc. Where are you? Tonight at 115. I made a major breakthrough. I'll need your assistance. Wait, wait a minute. 115 in the morning? Yeah. Doc, what's going on? Like, what kind of relationship do they have where that's not an abnormal request? Like, if I were to call you randomly and ask you to meet me in a closed mall at one in the morning, would you at least ask me why? Well, I, you know, us being friends for so long, I probably question you when I see you, but uh, you're not a, like, you're not like three times my age. So I probably wouldn't question it too much. But I, uh, I guess what you're saying, yeah, I would definitely question it. But, you know, you're also not as eccentric as Doc Brown, where this is probably not the first 1 a.m. meeting they've had. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, this is probably yeah. the norm. I guess if you're molesting a young boy, you probably want to do it when everyone else is asleep. This is to show you, I guess, like, you know. Marty's a slacker. He doesn't pay attention to things. He just goes with the flow, man. I mean, he really doesn't fucking pay attention to things, though. He really doesn't pay attention. No, yeah, he definitely lives his life in the clouds and just takes things as they come towards him. I guess that's the, uh, I guess that's what we learn about Marty, I guess, where he grows to start to notice um, he needs to pay attention more to things, which honestly, now that I say it, I don't think we see that at all in this movie, but I think we see it more in the, in the sequels. Yeah, that's true. Which was not totally not planned from the beginning. No. So the sequels weren't planned at all. Um, on the, on the version that's out now, like on Netflix and stuff, they ended up removing the to be continued thing. But I don't know if you remember when you were young, the VHS, they had added, to be continued on like the very end scene, like after they fly away. And that wasn't on the, um, the theatrical release. It was something that because the movie was so successful when they did like the home box office release or whatever they call it. Um, they added that in. So that people were like, Oh shit, there's going to be another one. See, I I've always known that, but I don't know if I knew that when I was younger, if the theatrical version had like, I think it was just something I learned later, but I, I, I did know that, that, uh, 
the theatrical version didn't have to be continued because I think there was a lot of concern and we'll get into it, but you know, they obviously had a lot of, uh, the, I think they went over budget on this because, you know, not to mention how Michael J. Fox, they filmed half of this movie without Michael J. Fox and then fired the actor who I guess wouldn't say fired, but it just didn't work. And they got rid of that actor and then re-recorded the in almost entirely the entire movie with Michael J. Fox. Yeah, the original actor to play Marty McFly was Eric Stoltz. I don't know if you remember him. Um, the the big role that I remember him from, he's in Pulp Fiction, and he has a minor, he's a minor character in that movie. But that's really the only thing that I actually recognize him from. Um, but yeah, like you said, they had to sh- they shot half of the movie with him, and pretty much everyone cast and crew was like, it's just not working. Um, he was he was known more of like a like a serious method actor. So he took the role um, way too seriously to the point where I don't know if you've heard any of this either, but he he would only he made people on set call him Marty, and they they noticed like during the screen testings and stuff like that, like he he's a talented actor, but he's not funny. So he was taking all of these lines that were meant to be said like to get a chuckle and and making it like a very serious role. Um, and and they just, you know, they they looked at it. Steven Spielberg was like, "This isn't gonna, this isn't gonna cut it." Uh, so they ended up spending, I believe it was just over three million dollars to reshoot all of those scenes. But fun fact, um, Eric Stoltz actually appears in the movie in two separate scenes. Still, I did not know that. Yeah, there there's a shot when they um, when Marty first. You know, during during the whole commotion with the terrorists, when Marty jumps into the um, the DeLorean for the first time, there's like a side shot of him jumping, and it's actually Eric Stoltz jumping into the car. And then later on, uh, once he's in the past, not to jump around too much, but there's a scene where he punches Biff, and the camera cuts to a, a hand hitting Biff in the face. And that was actually Eric Stoltz's hand. And um, they mentioned afterwards, the, I forget the actor's name, um, who played Biff, but he had said that they had never shot um, Michael J. Fox from that angle. So it had to still be Stoltz. So like, it's just his hand. And then you see him like briefly from the side jumping into a car, but it's like such a quick movement. You can't really decipher that it's not Michael J. Fox. I wonder if they probably they probably did that with a lot of scenes, especially scenes where, you know, Michael J. Fox wasn't in that they were like, okay, we don't need to reshoot this. But now that I think of it, that's probably not even till like scenes at the end. And they probably didn't even record that far yet. I think they but from what I heard, they almost had like the whole movie done. Wasn't that it or was it just half the movie? I think it was about it was about halfway. It was about halfway through the film. Michael J. Fox was the um, their first choice. They basically wrote this part with him in mind, but he was working on Family Ties at the time, and the um, the production studio running Family Ties was like, "No, you can't have him." So they cast Eric Stoltz, and then when it wasn't working, they basically went back like on hands and knees, and they were like, "Please, like, we will work around your schedule," and that's what they ended up doing. Um, so he would shoot on the set of Family Ties from like nine in the morning until six at night. And then they'd pick him up in a a station wagon that they put a mattress in the back of so he could nap in between sets. They'd drive him to Universal Studios. He'd film until probably one or two in the morning. And then they'd drive him back home. And someone like one of his assistants would literally pick him up and carry him to his bed. And he'd sleep about two hours a night. Damn. So the only... The only day shots that they could get when they were making this movie of Michael J. Fox were on Saturdays because Monday through Friday, they could only record him at night. So they'd have to shoot around everything else. You know what I mean? Like have all like any any scenes that he wasn't in, they do during the day. And then when he'd show up, they do the night scenes. And then on Saturdays, they'd get everything in between. You know, what? now that you say that and I think about it, it it watching it uh, and thinking about that. He does look a little tired, but it does work with the character. It, it helps 
work with the character because you know he's in another time he wants to get back and he's afraid that he's going to be he's going to disappear he just kind of has this exhaustion that he it seems like michael j fox is probably working with and that makes perfect sense yeah there's a quote from him at the time where he says i'm 22 years old what do i need sleep for um Talk about burning the candle at both ends, though. Like, imagine that you're on one of the most popular TV shows and you have to record every day during the day. And then you get whisked off to New York, uh, Universal Studios to to make arguably one of the biggest movies of the decade. Yeah. And that's that's crazy, man. Like, good for him. And this definitely skyrocketed his career for for a very long time. And uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if you, while this stuff was going on too, before they announced Michael J. Fox coming in, uh, I, I saw a documentary where Christopher Lloyd was just saying how, you know, there nobody knew that, that it was going to happen until they called the whole cast into um, like the big shooting room and except, um, what was the actor's name who played Marty? Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz was the only one not there. And he said he could, he'll never forget like the silence that hit the room when, you know, you're working with someone every day, you're doing all these lines, you're recording, like you're, you're actually, you're not just running lines with somebody, you're actually filming. And then to hear an announcement that they've been let go and will be replaced. He says he's never experienced anything like that. And it was, you know, he's he he said, like, working with Michael J. Fox was amazing and he was great. But he said it's just it was just a shock, you know, to have that happen. Oh, I can imagine, especially when you're so far into the production already to have literally the star replaced like that is unheard of. What was it? So there, there was a rumor for a while that the way Eric Stoltz was let go was he was on set and Steven Spielberg was like, uh, he was like, I need to talk to you for a minute, Eric. And he was like, I'm Marty. And there was like a awkward pause. And he went, no, you're Eric and you need to leave. Years later, Spielberg ended up coming out and saying that it wasn't factual, but that would have been a, well, <laughs> quite an awkward, awkward interaction. <laughs> It could have still happened because you got to think that makes Spielberg look look like a dick, and Eric Schultz would probably be the best one to actually debunk that. So it could still be true. That's true. You know, and but yeah, if you if you don't recognize who Eric Stoltz is in Pulp Fiction, he's the redheaded dude with the beard that has the uh, adrenaline shot when Uma Thurman overdoses. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So imagine him as fucking Marty McFly. It'd be weird as shit. I don't think that would have really worked, but who knows? There's, nope. there's a cut out there somewhere, and I'm surprised it hasn't leaked yet with everything that you can find on the internet. But somewhere out there, and I'm hoping one day that it just gets leaked on the internet, or somebody finds it, you know, and we get to see the actual shots with Eric Schultz. Like we get to see kind of like a different type of this movie, but who knows? Again, I'm like I said, I'm still shocked that that's not available already. I mean, we almost had a completely different Jennifer as well. I don't know if you know anything about what happened with with that actress. Well, I know it's a different Jennifer in the sequels. Like her mom got sick or something like that or and she ended up Right. So the so the actress who who plays uh Jennifer in the first movie, uh her name is Claudia Wells. She was originally going to play Jennifer, but then she got offered the role on a sitcom and decided to take that instead. So they were going to, so they had actually recast and they replaced her with, um, oh, what's the actress's name? Malara Hardin. Uh, she's J- Jan from The Office. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And so she was, she was already cast. She was going to, she, like, she did scenes with Stoltz. And then when they recast with um, Michael J. Fox, they like during the screen test, they were like, oh, she's too tall for him. So they went back to the original actress. They went back to Claudia and they were like, hey, is there any way you'd reconsider? And the sitcom that she was going to work on, I think it got canceled. So she ended up 
accepting the role again. So we would have gotten a drastically different looking movie if a couple things didn't shift. See, I I knew, actually now I knew about that, but I didn't know it was Malara from The Office. Like, oh my God, Jan Levinson. That would have been fucking wild. <laughs> I, then whenever I saw The Office, I've been like, oh my God, you were back to the future. But that's <laughs> unfortunate because, uh, you know, I... I don't really know her from really anything else but The Office, but I wonder if, you know, her career would have picked up a little bit more if she was in this. I'm, I've noticed her on like a couple random, like she she has like a small part in an episode of Friends and stuff like that. Like The Office was definitely her big, um, like probably the biggest role in her career as far as, you know, screen time and longevity. Oh, well, that show um, launched a lot of careers. Yeah. Yeah, uh, getting back into the movie, Marty arrives at school and um, we we meet Jennifer and we also meet uh, the principal, Mr. Strickland. Who's a vampire. Who is aware. He's a, he's a vampire and he's aware of Marty's relationship with Doc Brown, um, makes it known that he doesn't approve of it, which again, it's like, so everyone in town knows about this. So I don't know. It, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. But we find out that uh, that Marty's band, the the Pinheads, are going to be auditioning to. I for some reason I thought it was a battle of the bands, but I guess that they're just trying to play for their dance. Yeah, I thought I was thought of the same thing. I actually thought it was a talent show, but then, you know, when Strickland's giving him a, you know, pretty much bullying him, which is so weird. Uh, <laughs> we find out that it is for the school dance. Um, Yep. You know, I wanted to uh, say something about Strickland real quick. I know I mentioned he was a vampire. Uh, The thing about him that and I I see this focus on throughout the whole movie. The aging makeup they decided to use for people makes no sense. Like a 30 years difference on things like and you could see it with Doc Brown, too. Like (laughs) they don't look like they've aged much at all within 30 years. Especially Principal Strickland. He looks exactly the goddamn same. No, I agree. And I thought that that was one of the funniest parts is when um, when Doc Brown later on is is like when he first starts looking at the video footage from the the camcorder that Marty brings back with him. He sees himself and he's like, oh, my God, I'm an old man. But like the only difference is his hair is just sticking up like and slightly whiter. <laughs> it's slight. It's slightly whiter, but like his his face itself looks exactly the same. Yeah. It, it, and to to talk about the makeup that they used a little bit, um, I don't know if you know, but it actually took three hours of makeup for Leah Thompson to to age her. See, that's the thing too. Like they they definitely went heavy and, and like handed on like the young actors' makeup, where they actually looked like they ate like Leah Thompson. Great example. Looks way more aged than Principal Strickland. I don't think they really aged Strickland at all. I think they they were like, eh, he's going to be in it for you know. Well, that's what I mean. Thirty seconds in this scene. Let's let's just pan on him real quick and and cut back. I would love to see a spinoff of Principal Strickland because it seems like he's like an energy vampire that gets off on belittling students because we see him do the same thing to George McFly when he's younger, when George McFly actually seems like an intelligent student might actually be a good student. Hell, he's doing Biff's homework. I don't know. George McFly is kind of a creepy pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can get further into that. (laughs) So like you were saying before I, I backtracked a little, uh, you know, Marty McFly's trying out with the pinheads uh, for the school dance. And Dan, did you know who one of the judges is? Uh, none other than Huey Lewis from the the main theme song, right? He's the one that tells him that he's too darn loud. <laughs> Which they're like, oh, it's funny because he's a he's a rock star. I love the soundtrack for this movie, though. It, it's very so like like what we were talking about with Batman. It's one of those movies that like as soon as the, the song comes on, it just like puts you in a specific mood. Yeah, um, I do like the power of love and I do think it's a it's a great song. But 
uh, even younger, I was wondering, like, it doesn't even, well, I, uh, I'm wrong. You know what I was going to say? You would think that it'd be something about time travel, but I guess that this movie is all about love because it's the power of love that prevents Marty from disappearing. And from banging his mom. From banging his mom. <laughs> 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 which we'll get to that <laughs> well it doesn't happen but <laughs> um, not on camera anyway so uh desc- describe to us further on what happens dan after marty gets told that he's too darn loud um he he leaves school with jennifer he looks at some some 80s babes butts as he's talking to her uh they also notice the toyota dealership getting a a four by four and uh, and Marty says, that's hot. You know, that's usually what a really small dude wants is a big car. <laughs> and I'm talking about his height, guys. I'm not talking about his <laughs> penis. Small. But he, I mean, he's good on that skateboard, though. He like sketches away on a cop car and the cop doesn't really. It's like a, it's like Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Like the cop doesn't really do anything. He just keeps driving. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. The You know what? The cops in this town suck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what are they doing? You know what? defund the police (laughs) what are they doing you know hell they're not even arresting that woman that's harassing people about a clock tower save the clock tower save the clock tower mayor wilson is sponsoring an initiative to replace that clock 30 years ago lightning struck that clock tower and the clock hasn't run since we at the hill valley preservation society think it should be preserved exactly the way it is as part of our history and heritage there you go lady there's a quarter or fuck that lady and then when marty gets home we find out that uh biff crashed his dad's car while drunk driving and the cops just let him get the car towed back without any kind of like he even says who's gonna pay my dry cleaning bill i spilled beer all over myself so the cops show up to a, a car accident Someone's covered in beer. They don't even own the car and they let them just leave. It's got to be. It's kind of messed up that you let that George McFly let his like childhood bully bully him all the way up until like he's older where they work at the same place and again is doing the same stuff while the bully gets the promotion. It's kind of weird saying this about a movie about time travel, but this is the part of the plot that doesn't make sense to me. Um, because they like we we get a little bit of backstory on Marty's parents when when we're in the home and we find out that um, that they met because um, Leanne, Marty's mom, her dad hit George with a car and as she was nursing him back to health, she got like Florence Nightingale syndrome or whatever it is and, and fell in love with him. But if Biff was already bullying George to the point where he would just do whatever he said, and he was already borderline raping Leanne, um, I'm sorry, Lorraine, I keep saying Leanne, but it's Lorraine. Um, why would he just like back off once they start dating? You know what I mean? Like the whole premise of them getting together doesn't make sense as long as Biff is still a factor in, in George's life, because all he would have to do is just be like, get out of here, McFly. I'm going to finger blast your girlfriend. And he'd be like, okay, Biff, just get her back by Monday. Well, I actually have a theory on this, and I, I don't know if this is probably a common theory uh, amongst this movie, and and I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was part of the original script. Um, When that whole scene happens, when, you know, Biff, like, tells George who's going to pay for my dry cleaning, and then he goes into his uh, fridge, he stops, and Marty's there, and he, like, I thought this was weird. He gives Marty, like, this weird, like, pause look, like, looks at him. And it just kind of made me wonder, has has this whole time that, you know, Lorraine's been dating George, were, were Biff and Lorraine kind of probably in the background messing around or has Lorraine possibly been cheating on George with Biff, especially when he's like, say hi to your mother for me? Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Because if you think about it, too, like 
you know, it kind of makes sense if we went deep in the story. You know, George is this type of person which, he, you know, he 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 definitely takes care of Biff. Um, and he's definitely a good provider. Like he's got three kids. He's just he's just weak. So, you know, why would Lil Rain leave him? Because, you know, he she takes he takes care of her. He takes care of her side piece. And it actually made me think if they I wonder if they toyed with Marty's actually Biff's son. I was just going to say that, <laughs> which would have been really mind blowing if they did that in this movie. Like Marty just disappears, <laughs> but the siblings stay <laughs> at the end because like and I don't think it was on purpose, you know, and I think it was just like maybe it was supposed to be that Biff just hates Marty because he's probably thinking, you know, these should be my kids, you know, but right. just the look that he gives Marty in that scene just was like, you know, it makes me wonder if he's just looking at Marty and being like, you're my son, but I know if I say something, I lose George doing all this work for me, you know, raising my, like taking care of my woman, taking care of me. I took it more as Biff just being an asshole and, and kind of like gloating and being like, look at what a puss your dad is. I can make him do whatever I want. Um, just kind of like smugly smiling in his face. That's that's obviously wh where they went with it. But like um, if you rewatch it, I, I didn't write down the minute or anything like that. You'll see like he's not smiling. He's just got like this dumbfound look on him when he's staring at Marty. And it just made me think of that. And which would have been would have took this movie into a way different direction. But because it just makes me think like I, I guess, you know, Biff needs someone to do all this work for him. It just seems weird that this bully would stick around with this person that he's bullied with all through high school. Like why would, why would George get a job with him? Why would George even want to work with him? You know what I mean? It's not like, couldn't he just get a different job and not work with Biff? So he didn't have to, you know, it just seems like he's setting himself up to be a bitch forever. Maybe it's a comfort thing for George where this is something he's lived with in school, like as a child and, you know, going out, graduating from high school and stuff, it's scary. And, you know, some people glob on to like certain things that they're used to as a routine when they're younger, maybe being bullied by Biff is, and, and providing for Biff in certain ways is kind of a comfort for George. I maybe don't know. He, maybe he's secretly in love with Biff. Maybe, maybe, maybe him and George are fucking on the side. Yeah, maybe he just likes the, like, you know, he kind of gets off on being abused. So he's like, oh, Biff, call me a butthead. Lorraine's just a front to be like, I'm straight. I have kids. You know, 80s wasn't really a big time. wasn't, you know, it was a little bit more open about being gay. But, man, you know, it, well, actually, it was from the 50s. So, yeah, Lorraine's just his know. beard. Because Lorraine's clearly not happy. No. Because, you know, when we get to the next scene and they're drinking, she's just drinking vodka like she's an alcoholic in all the all the dark timelines. Oh, yeah. She's just got a got a drinking problem. But did you know that uh, when when Biff says butthead in that scene, that was actually uh, ad libbed? Oh, you mean that he he just added that? Yeah, that was in. So that um, so the insult of butthead. And also uh, later on when he says, make like a tree and get out of here. Those were both improvised by the uh, the actor who plays Biff. It wasn't in the script. The actor plays Biff and I, f I feel like I'm not doing justice knowing his name. And But he, the character he created is Biff. He did such a remarkable job. You know, like we've seen bullies in many different movies, but there is no bully more iconic than Biff. Thomas Wilson played Biff. Thomas Wilson. Okay. Thomas Wilson. He brought this character. Like Again, it's like I said, there, there is no more iconic bully than Biff. He's like the perfect bully. And the sayings that he says, you know, he definitely took this character and just made him tenfolds of what he is. He's perfect. Butthead. Like, Love that. Such a nostalgic every time he says butthead. And again, the quote you just said, I love that. Make like a leaf and get out of here. You know, I feel like everything about this movie is is iconic. Like even, like just the, the soundtrack, the, the costume design, the casting. It's 
it's perfect. Like there's really nothing that I would actually change about this movie. No, this, this, this movie is awesome. And I love how it has definitely, you know, from, from us being, you know, mid childs of the eighties, you know, uh, it starts to make you remember how like, you know, sugar free, like certain things that were going on at a time, like, like sugar free things wasn't a thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Let me back the what was wasn't a thing until th- this time, you know, when mm-hmm. like caffeine you know, goes free back and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's you know when Marty's like, give me a a a new Pepsi or whatever they the the Pepsi was at that time that was sugar free, and then he's like, give me not something with no sugar. The the line is, uh, let me get a Pepsi free, and the the, the uh, shopkeeper says, well, if you want a Pepsi, you're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah. Oh my! Also, for everyone, I was like, I'll take a tab. You got to order something. <laughs> now, was tab sugar free? I believe it's caffeine free. Okay. But I'm not sure. I've never had a tab. He wants either no caffeine or he wants no sugar. Has to be one or the other. He's very specific about his beverages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While we're in the McFly house, we also get a bit of uh, hypocrisy from from Lorraine as well, because they're talking about Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. Um, cause I guess she like called the house. So Lorraine says any girl who would call a boy is asking for trouble. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. Oh, Marty, there's nothing wrong with calling a boy. I think it's terrible. Girls chasing boys. When I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. You know, the implication that when Lorraine was younger, she was very, um, What's the word I'm looking for here? A floozy. Say it, Dan. She was was, a floozy. Well, uh, she's implying the opposite here, though. You know what I mean? She's 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 basically saying she's like yeah she's basically saying that she was like a prude, but then we find out that she was really uh, not so much. The thing is, though, was she not a prude because she met George? Like, who knows what she was doing in between? Like when Marty shows up or anything like that, or well, the scene at the dance when they're in the car and she says, "It's not like I haven't parked with anyone before or something like that." Like it, it implies. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, plus, I mean, she basically throws herself at Marty to the point where she's like following him around town and stuff like that. So if she's gonna judge a girl just for calling someone's house while she's literally following someone she barely knows around town and walking into their friend's house. Uh, I think that I, I think that just goes back to like the, the, what they're focusing on is saying, you know, your parents typically tell you what not to do because of things that they did when they were younger. Yeah. Like the do as I say, not as I do mantra. I'm pretty sure at this point it cuts to like Marty sleeping. Right. And then his phone starts ringing or is there something in between them? Okay. So Doc Brown is calling him to get the camcorder from his house that he forgot. Yeah. Where's Doc Brown calling him? Oh, probably a payphone during this time. Yeah, probably a payphone, unless he also invented cell phones. Yeah, I guess, but uh, I guess Doc Brown- No, it's it's almost definitely a payphone. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, Doc Brown, he could probably have even built a cell phone, you know? Because they definitely make Doc Brown like this character that could pretty much- and we definitely see it in the sequel, do anything. Speaking of the sequels, I don't know if you know that they were um, filmed consecutively. Like you the mean second, like, uh, one... the, the, like it was just one long shoot. Yeah, I know that, that they just did those two movies back to back. Yeah, because it, it was originally written just as one sequel. And it was too long and they didn't want to cut things out. So they expanded it rather than cut it down and made it into two movies. That would have been one major long movie or they would have (laughs) to cut a lot when Marty goes into the future. Which I would have been bummed because, you know, I the first one's always my favorite, but I love the second one. Yeah, because because you get to see the future. Yeah, you get to see the future, which. We've seen that future, Dan, and it looks nothing like that. It's because Marty fucked it all up by banging his mom. Yeah. Banged his mom. 
she gave a good handy and he just let it <laughs> let it happen. But um so he shows up at the Twin Pines Mall on his skateboard and he brings that sweet JVC camcorder that he got from Doc Brown's uh office or workshop. And this is the uh the reveal of the DeLorean too. And this is another just like super iconic moment, like everything down to, you know, just the, the camera shots and how they do the reveal where he like drops it off the truck and it's all just fucking awesome. And that poor dog. <laughs> Did you know Einstein was in the in the original script? He was actually supposed to be a monkey. Talk about budget. That would have been that would have added major to the budget. And also I feel like they wouldn't have been able to I don't know. I feel like that would have caused a lot of problems. Well, if you pay attention to some of the, the scenes where Einstein's in the car, it's actually uh, a dude in a dog suit. Really? Yeah. If you if you go back and watch it, a couple of the scenes where the car's moving, it's a it's a driver dressed as a dog. And you can in a couple of the scenes, you can see his arms move a little bit. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I'm going to have to really fo- look for that and focus. I didn't know that, but I guess that makes sense. Um. I just think, I guess a monkey would have just been a little bit much. And uh, this is the point where Doc starts explaining how the, the DeLorean works and stuff like that. Um, and we get that that iconic line from Michael J. Fox where he's like, you're telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty. I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Everyone on the production crew has actually said that that was the moment um, in filming where they they knew they had made the right choice by scrapping the original project and and recasting Marty McFly because he just the way he delivered that line was exactly what they were looking for that they couldn't get from Eric Stoltz. I guess that makes that line even more iconic. Yeah. Because... You know, that it's such a good line. And then I just love Doc Brown. How he's like, well, if you're going to build a time machine, you might as well build it in style. Right. Um, another funny little tidbit talking about the DeLorean, though, is uh, DeLoreans actually, uh, when they were manufactured at that time, didn't come with a speedometer that went above 85. So the scenes where they're showing it going up to 88 miles an hour is a speedometer from uh not a DeLorean. Wow. Yep. Wow. I, because, I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's insane. Well, also, I also think watching this nowadays, it's kind of funny, like how they make 88 miles an hour seem like it's so fast when most of our cars go above 88 at this time. I mean, it's fast for a DeLorean because technically they're not supposed to go that fast. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if like Doc forgot that and it just goes to 85 and the, the car just kills them. It just he just crashes into them. the mall and dies. <laughs> what really happened? This is all just like this. The rest of this movie is just like a fever dream of Marty McFly in the hospital on life support. Oh, I mean, with, with the off. original the original test that they do of the DeLorean, where they use like the RC remote and and drive Einstein a minute into the future. If if for whatever reason anything didn't go right, I don't know if you remember, but like the car is driving directly at Doc and Marty. So if if no, they yeah. didn't if they didn't hit eighty eight miles right there, or if the flux capacitor didn't work, or something like that, or if it took a little longer for it to like jump through time and actually disappear, he would have just killed both of them. It, it could have it could have been like a 15-minute movie. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, imagine that he didn't realize that it didn't go to 80, like past 85, and it just hit them, and the rest of this movie is just a fever dream of Marty <laughs> McFly in the hospital slowly dying. Just having, having these weird <laughs> these weird hallucinations about his his young mom trying to fuck him. 
<laughs> no, mom. No, Marty. We have to put the IV in your in your wrist. No, ma. Don't fuck me. <laughs> don't fuck me, mom. My brother will disappear. <laughs> Kid's fucking crazy. <laughs> that would have been so dark. The movie just ends. <laughs> Like we watched the whole movie and it's it's about to like they're about to blast off in the fu- to the future with Doc. And then all of a sudden you just hear Beep! and it's just Marty in the in the <laughs> hospital dead. <laughs> Back to the future too. awake from the coma. I mean, I don't know if if you recall that when uh, there's a scene where where Doc's like showing Marty how the the time machine works, too. And he reprograms a couple different dates in before they settle on November 5th, 1955. Um, and the two other dates are the like Independence Day, the day the Declaration of Independence was signed. So like 1776. And then the birth of Christ. So year zero. So, I mean, Marty is so lucky that he was transported to a time where he could predict a lightning strike because an those other two scenarios, he would just fucking die in the past and no one would ever know what happened to him. And, you know, the cops would probably show up to the mall and see a dead, you know, his his dead older friend and never find Marty again and just assume that it was like a, you know, he killed Marty and buried him somewhere and shot himself in the head to get away from going to jail. You know what I mean? It, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have looked good for Doc Brown. No, not at all. Not at all. But also, you really think the cops would have came? Because, I don't know, man. In these next couple scenes, it is such a shocker that there is not one police officer around at all. Well, I'm not saying like, they'd come They'd come right away. But, I mean, how many days do you think a, a dead body could sit in a parking lot before someone says something? That's true. Now, that, especially at a mall. In, yeah. In, this was, you know, the mid 80s where malls reigned supreme. Yeah. They need full capacity so, in that parking lot. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. So you are right on that. But I will I will stick to my guns. No pun intended. That after this whole DeLorean scene and the Libyans show up, it is a 100% shock that there is no mall security. There's no police officer as machine guns and cars are flying down the street and being shot at. Uh, This part of the movie also made me realize that I have uh, no actual idea what plutonium looks like. I'm pretty sure it's not just a red liquid, but I don't know. I think it's because of the Simpsons. I always just assumed that it would be green. Right, like a, like some sort of, I don't know, I, I assume it would be a solid material unless they're just like, because he does say one pellet per trip or something like that. So maybe that's like a, like some sort of uh, coolant to keep it from, I don't know. But it just looks like a tube of red liquid. I'm kind of, you know, actually I'm going to, I'm going to look up a quick, be quick about it, but plutonium and see if I can, uh. See what it looks like. You're going to end up on a federal watch list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks red, but I guess I'm, I'm seeing it in solid form. But then I'm also seeing it in metal form. Hmm. So I think it's red because it's heated up. Okay. Um, And there's also a scene from Amazing Spider-Man where Spider-Man's got plutonium in his hands. And it's... it. The actually container looks like it's from the secret of the ooze and then has just red in it. Okay, so maybe it is maybe it is red. Okay. But it's the movies, so who knows what they're, you know. <laughs> they probably don't even know. Well, I know they did the the writers actually um cuz who wrote it the the director uh Robert Zemeckis and uh and Bob Gale both wrote the movie together um but they did consult with with scientists on on certain uh terms and things like that which is uh there's actually a funny story about the 1.21 gigawatts because the scientist that they consulted with mispronounced it it should be gigawatt but because 
he was really the only authority that they had on how to pronounce it. It just made it into production. What did I just say? Do you think there was any like uh um like scientists that dealt with like uh re- like plutonium and stuff in the movie theaters watching this movie and they heard gigawatts and was like, no, <laughs> it's gigawatts. You fool. <laughs> you idiot. Inconceivable. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And uh, I also like the line where Doc's like preparing for his trip into the future. And he says like he's allergic to synthetic fibers or whatever. So he asks, um, he, like he's, he's going to bring underwear and he says, who knows if they'll have cotton underwear in the future. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, he's got to be prepared. I don't want my balls itching, Marty. <laughs> Hopefully they fix that in the future. <laughs> right. But uh, that then we get interrupted uh, by the the Libyans in their their murder Westphalia bus. I do think it's funny that he sold them a a bomb that had pinball machine parts in it, and and didn't expect them to try to like f- like find out. Which makes me wonder: Did they attempt a terrorist attack like a day before this, and then it just didn't work? So now <laughs> they're going like, to find him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they must have. <laughs> Sounds like well, a at the, at the beginning machine. of the at the very beginning of the film, there is like a, a radio broadcast that says it talks about the uh, the missing plutonium, and they say that um, a Libyan terrorist group has taken credit, but like the Pentagon or the FBI or something like that is is denying claims that it was stolen. So it's like the government's trying to cover up that they fucking lost a bunch of plutonium. That then that that must mean that a terrorist attack might have already happened, but I just feel like you must be a terrible terrorist. And I guess terrorists do that nowadays. That you know they want to do something, but then the, if they haven't even acted yet, they're just like, "We stole the plutonium. We're gonna blow something up, but we're not gonna tell you where." God damn it! It's just another pinball machine. <laughs> These goddamn like, inventors. On, <laughs> on on paper. In, in pretty much any other movie, I feel like Doc Brown would be a villain because he's oh, like yeah. a, he's like an old, independently wealthy, eccentric scientist that is um, like socially isolated except for contact with a, an underage boy. And he has ties with international terrorists. And talked about it like it was just like he was reading the the newspaper like oh yeah like yeah i had these terrorists steal me a plutonium and i just built them a bunk bomb it's fine look it's at like my these invention fucking pussies they thought i was gonna build them a bomb i'm just gonna go through time <laughs> and shit on them <laughs> fucking idiots well i guess if you uh, uh well yeah well he's definitely insane but i guess if you you have a time machine that you think is actually going to work like he was pretty sure of himself that he can go back and fix it or he he did not plan on coming back at all so what would have happened if the libyans showed up a minute later and doc brown got you know his clean undies and went through time (laughs) marty would just get gunned down in the parking lot oh yeah oh big time but also i think doc brown didn't expect the Libyans to catch on so quickly, but still Marty still would have been fucked because they would have went to his house, realized that he hangs out with this kid and they would have gone right to Marty's house and questioned him where dark Brown is and probably murder his whole family. Right. And it's not even like he was trying to be covert about where he was or anything like that, because the truck that they unload the DeLorean from says like 
Doc Brown Enterprises or something like that on the side of it. Also, that that makes me think of this, too. So this whole worked. And if if Doc Brown wasn't going to go back, like we'll stay in the future or something like that and decided to try to sell this to somebody, wouldn't they question where the plutonium came from? They wouldn't be like, oh, so, yeah, but, you know, you have a great adventure. We don't care where you got the plutonium for from. It would definitely be a major question. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think the the bigger headline would definitely be the time machine, though. Um, yeah, but you don't think the government would be like, uh, so where'd you get all this plutonium, buddy? <laughs> like, like, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't think that would have been a swept under the rug that they're just like, I got okay, it from so the this future. guy. Yeah, true, I guess. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, not only that this guy built a time machine, he used plutonium that he dealt worked with terrorists to steal. Okay, we have a supervillain in the making. Like yeah. you said, Dan, <laughs> Doug Brown Doug Brown's not really a good dude. He's like the the uncle of Elon Musk. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. <laughs> That's so perfect because it's so true. Like, because like, it, it, and I, I, I guess you could say Elon Musk is the same. Like, Doc Brown does not care. The only time he seems to care about repercussions is when Marty goes back in time. But this Doc Brown in the, in quotes, current future, does not give a fuck. There's actually a whole um, like a fan theory. There's a whole fan theory about how Doc Brown doesn't actually like honor the um, like the rule that he sets up with Marty about not interfering with time. Like uh, not not so much in this film, but in the um, but in the sequels, there's a lot of instances where he saves Marty like just in the nick of time that he wouldn't have known where Marty was unless in a previous timeline he had died. Like there's a, there's a scene where like, um, for example, where, you know, in the dark Trump tower timeline where they're on the roof and Biff's going to shoot him and Marty just jumps off, uh, and lands on the DeLorean. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, there, there's not a lot of ways that Doc Brown would have known to be right there right at that time unless there was some reality where he didn't get there and Marty was killed. So a lot of people um, think that he's actually just uh, a hypocrite. <laughs> oh, that definitely had to have happened. Come on, think of um, the, like he's, the sequel definitely. How Doc Brown knows precisely where his son's going to be, where it like, tells marty every single point of his future life of where to be to the point where he can predict the weather at one point yeah so doc brown definitely probably revisited that timeline multiple times Mm -hmm. yeah after this he it's like i said future doc brown doesn't give a shit about the repercussions of the future it's definitely his his past self that it, even the third one alone. Come on, how much how much future did they change there? Um, yeah, yeah. He but, he fucks a lady from the past and brings her to the future on a train. So it's like mm, you're not going to screw up anything by doing that, dude. Come on. And also like making like uh, extreme technologies within that timeline, and you're not thinking that's going to like change the future because. Come on, there's no way Doc Brown built all that stuff by himself. He would have had to have had assistants that took on that information and technology to build different things within that. that oh, past. yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true. I was just thinking of the fact that he got someone from, you know, 200 years in the past pregnant. You know, he's yeah. telling Mar- he's telling Marty, like, be careful who you talk to. You don't want to fuck up time. And he's just fucking popping out kids in the West. But yeah, I digress. Told- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're definitely going to have to do the sequels at some point. Oh, yes. You know, I, I think it's a, you know, and, and this movie is far from perfect, too. 
when it comes to like time travel, because let's be honest, time traveling stuff is always um, always a very like hard thing to to write and put into things. And there's so many theories, especially since it's like technically like not a real thing. Like you don't like there's so many theories and stuff. Um, Yeah, it's really hard to write a time travel script without like contradicting yourself or anything like that. Yeah. Because, again, there's so many theories. There's so many things like, you know, if you can actually change the time or if you end up getting stuck in different parallel universes, it it, it goes on. But I will say this, though, the sequels definitely uh, make it a little bit more easy to pick, like pick out and make fun of because they definitely go a little bit more overboard in contradicting themselves, where I feel like in the first one. They definitely, uh, I think, really focus more on uh, watching their steps on what they needed to do. Even though, like I said, it's not perfect, but I felt like they were a little bit more cautious in the first one. Right. No, I agree. So they end up gunning down Doc Brown. Spoiler alert. Um, Marty jumps no into way. the- Yeah, I know. I, I don't think we're going to see him again in this movie either. He's He's pretty dead. Um, so Marty starts driving around in a stolen car and, um, the Libyans are pursuing him. And for some reason, their gun decides that it's just going to repetitively jam. So they pull out a rocket launcher, which I don't know why they wouldn't have just started with a rocket launcher. Cause then they could have just shot Doc Brown's truck and killed both of them. But you know, I'm not going to tell a terrorist how to terror. Um, I guess it's a little less uh, noisy shooting uh, a machine gun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, we're not. We don't. We don't know how Libyans work. But th- this is or, another example of of what I was saying about how Marty doesn't really listen that well because as he's driving around, he says, "Let's see if you can do 90. Um So it's like he didn't remember what happens when you hit eighty eight. And he travels through time. And even though Doc Brown was just telling him, like, literally three minutes before the terrorists show up, he's saying, uh, all of this land used to, this all used to be farmland. Um, He's showing him that he set it to November 5th, 1955, which is also a date that his parents were talking about earlier that fucking day. And he just doesn't understand what's going on. Like, he stops the car and he's still just super confused. Like, what What did you, did you think the whole explanation about the time machine was bullshit? What did you think happened to the dog? Like, he just had a full-on demonstration of what it did. And he still doesn't seem to understand it once it happens for like a couple minutes. Like, it takes him a little while to realize that he went back in time. It's Andrew from the future. That ends our conversation of Back to the Future Part A. Join us next week where we discuss Part B, where Marty is now in the future and trying to get his parents to bone. Trying to bring him to that bone zone. So make sure to tune in next week on Let's See That Again, the podcast where we watch nostalgic movies and see if they hold up today. 